Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano from jimgalliano.com. Thanks so much for joining me for today's podcast episode. We're about 17 days away from Christmas. And this year, I know quite a few people who are adopting a less moving parts approach, as I like to say, to the holiday season. And personally, I couldn't be happier about it myself. We're keeping things in the family extra simple this year. And uh, it really takes the stress as as well as the expenses uh, out of the holiday season. And it makes it more about enjoying the time with the people around us. Not that we didn't enjoy the time in uh, previous holiday seasons over the last several years. Although we're a smaller group now and people are live at a distance, we get together in smaller groups. But this year we decide to make it even simpler than we have in the past. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this holiday season. I kind of see the season as two days, but I like to more or less look at this time of the year as a time to, uh, yeah, I'm doing some work, but I'm also mentally... Uh, kind of relaxing, laid back, and it's difficult to describe, but I kind of enjoy this time of the year. But uh, before we go any further, a shout out to my new friends over at Whereby. You can find them at whereby.com, W-H-E-R-E-B-Y.com. With Whereby, you can enjoy beautiful, simple video calls. Whereby is a super simple way to connect with others over video, individuals, groups of people, there are no apps, no downloads, or no long meeting links that you have to work with. So it's it's a great Zoom alternative. You can even add video calls to your website with Whereby Embedded. The sound and video quality are outstanding. If branding is extra important to you, you'll definitely want to check out the Whereby Embed. Having the ability to embed that conference within your own website is just, uh, it's, it's really nice. So Whereby, is a, as I said, is a great Zoom alternative. There's nothing to download. Go ahead and try out their free trial today. I did, and I'm really happy with the service, and I just started using it with some of my new clients. So, all right, with 2022 right around the corner, I'm happy to say that I'm in the process of adjusting my own business and marketing strategy for the new year. I really love just digging into how these different parts work. I enjoy it. Even I find it I find it challenging at times, especially if I hit a point where I realize that I've gone about as far as I can go with doing certain things in my business a certain way, and so it's time for something new, and there's a a feeling of excitement, anticipation, and you know, even though I've been doing this for coming up on 25 years before you know it, even though I've been doing this a long time, there's still a little bit of nervous anticipation there because you never quite know how something's going to work out until you actually go ahead and do it. But today, I'd like to share a little bit with you about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So ever since I've been in business, some kind of business, which started in my late teens, I've always identified with the type of business owners that we refer to today as solopreneurs. And back then, I really didn't gravitate towards the term entrepreneur and solopreneur, I think was unheard of back then. I think that was something that kind of appeared in the 90s as far as uh, terms or labels go. 
But I really didn't even gravitate towards the, the term entrepreneur because, well, for one, it wasn't nearly as popular as it is today. I think back then most people simply thought of themselves as business owners. Whether you had a part-time or full-time business, whether you were a startup or not, we generally looked at ourselves as business owners. If we had a corporate type of structure in place, an S-corp, small corporation, we kind of saw ourselves as being the president of that business, of that company. And sometimes we would have a friend as the vice president or somebody in the family, and there were four roles to fill, president, vice president, treasurer, secretary. And sometimes one person filled two roles, but you couldn't have the president also be the vice president. That was, I think the president could also be the secretary. I'm not sure, but yeah. So, you know, I went through all that and the labels were, believe me, a lot more important back then than they are to me today. But I understand when you're first getting started out, you want to feel professional. You want your business to look as professional as possible. So maybe you're a little more focused on what you want to call yourself, a CEO. But anyway, I love the term solopreneur because today when I look at it, I think that even back then, the single individual business owner, they were outsourcing parts of their business. I don't think there are very many business owners, even part-time ones that literally do everything themselves. They outsource things, they hire services, and but I don't really don't want to harp on that. I just want to focus on the general term as I see it. I see the individual, quote-unquote, solopreneur as the person who is the heart and soul of the business. So, for example, somebody that most of you are familiar with, the motivational speaker, Tony Robbins. He is a motivational speaker. He's been around since the 1990s. It was probably teaching before that, but he became popular, really, I think it was the early 90s. And uh, who knows how many people work in his organization. And if he weren't around one day or, you know, he retired or passed on, I'm sure there are plenty of people, capable people within his organization, maybe even his family, who could pick up his materials and keep the organization going. Like I said, maybe fam someone in the family, someone in the organization. However... He, the individual, is really the heart and soul of that business. That's what I mean when I use the term solopreneur. It is, some people will call it a personal brand. Again, there's so many labels today, but it's the individual who owns a business that should they no longer be there, that business would either cease to be, that's the worst case scenario, or never quite be the same again, which is in many cases the most likely scenario. Now, if we take you out of your business, what would be left? If the answer is nothing or not much, well, maybe I consider you to be a solopreneur. So if you don't like that definition, you know, that's absolutely fine. The reason why I'm explaining it the way I'm doing or taking the time to do it is so that you and I can be on the same page for the rest of this podcast. So I'm talking about an individual, one person. One person can make a huge difference in anything one person who knows what they're doing, one person that knows what they're talking about. Uh, one person, however, can only do so much. So if you break your business down into, let's say, four different categories, and each of those categories, uh, for example, let's say one of those categories happens to be marketing or sales, there may be at least a half a dozen options as far as activities go that you can choose from to get the job done in that category. And one person will do much better if they focus on executing 
just one of those activities than they will if they try to attempt to execute four activities. Sometimes you think that the more you do, then the better it's going to be. But more things, the more things there are, require more energy. They require more of your focus. And when you spread out your energy and your focus trying to do multiple things, you have less to give to any single task because that 100% of what you have to give that day is spread out in four different locations or more. So I'm guessing this makes sense to everyone. And yet, why is it that we feel compelled to do more than when you get right down to it, we're actually capable of doing? Look at what you're doing right now and ask yourself, are you doing each of these tasks with the depth, the focus, the intensity, whatever word you want to use, that you're capable of doing? And the answer is, if you're honest with yourself, probably not. I think that on a gut level, we recognize that a lot of times we just don't have the right plan in place, at least not right for us. It may be better than nothing. I'm not saying that, but you know, we work and we live a lot of times in what I like to call reaction mode. In other words, whatever gets our attention at that minute, it could be a phone call, it could be an email, it could be something that you see in an open tab that you didn't mean to uh, spend time looking at or reading or listening to, but we stop what we're doing, we react to that thing, and then we go back to whatever task we left because we were distracted from it. But then what happens a lot of times is by the time you get back to that, even if the interruption doesn't take a long time, but it feels like there's a sense of momentum that's lost and it takes oftentimes extra effort to really get back into whatever it was that you were doing. I can't tell you how many times and probably you would say the same for yourself where I was doing something, I was really focused and maybe somebody came into the room and asked me a question or the phone rang and I had to take the call and the next thing I know it's 10, 15 minutes later and I have to completely reset to get back into doing whatever it was that I'm doing. And a lot of times, especially if there was a you know, stressful conversation or there's a problem somewhere, I'm not even in the mood to pick up where I left off. So, you know, that's what it's like when it's your project, when you're doing things within your own business, within your own company. When it's a client or a customer's work that you're doing, the incentive to get back into it and pick things up where you left off is there. But doing client work as a business owner is only part of the business. I'm saying if you're like a hands-on type of person, you want to interact with people, you know, there's pluses and minuses to having other people do it for you. There's pluses and minuses to have a maybe a VA answer your correspondences or having a VA handle certain aspects of support and nothing against having other people do these things, but there's something special that happens, I think, between the client on the on the receiving end and you on the giving end when they know that you yourself are involved in the process. And of course, there's a balance there. You can't be everywhere doing everything yourself. I'm not saying that. But for you to have your fingers in everything and to be present there, I think that there are pluses there that just can't be duplicated any other way. But, you know, when it's your project, when it's something you're doing in your own company, it might be marketing, it might be planning, it might be uh, working with a new project that you're going to launch. You only have yourself to answer to, so it's so much easier 
to put things on the back burner for weeks at a time. Oftentimes, weeks can become months. I mean, am I right? Has this ever happened to any of you? I'm, I'm sure it has. But uh, all of that said, if that's what you're experiencing, then maybe it's time to rethink the plan and the strategy in the light of what you're currently struggling with. You know, we all start out with a plan. I remember Mike Tyson, retired uh, heavyweight champion of the world. He was the youngest ever to win the title. In his prime, he made this comment. He says, everyone has a plan to fight me until they get hit. I found the original quote that goes something like this, at least looking back in the, um, the old press clippings. Everyone has a plan until they get hit, he says. Then like a rat, they stop and fear and freeze. I think he said this quote several times over. Sometimes I read everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. But I remember when he said it in live, at live TV and it was kind of spontaneous. And uh, it, it really did. It stuck with me when he said that. That's a modern take on an even older saying, which goes like this. No plan survives first contact with the enemy. Now, in the business world, <clears throat> in your own business, I wouldn't consider my competitors the enemy. I don't like to look at competitors like that. I believe I used to look at competitors like that, but I look at it now that there's plenty for everyone. If we're selling something that is of value, there's there's plenty of room for competition. I don't like to see myself as competing against any group of people or any individuals. I don't look at it like that at all. To me, I find that's kind of counterproductive. But that quote that no plan survives the first contact with the enemy, I look at the enemy as being just circumstances that we encounter in this world that seem to oppose us or blockages, things that problems we have to solve in order to get our message out to more people or to get more exposure to whatever it is that we're selling. And there's plenty of people out there that you can serve. I mean that in the most positive way that I can put it. I mean, there's plenty of people out there that will benefit from hiring you to do whatever it is that you do and that you do well. Absolutely. And if we put you in front of those people, we're getting you in front of those people, then your business challenges basically go away, at least the financial part of them. And from there, more of the challenges become, how do we scale what we have in such a way so that you're not working yourself to death? But in my own business, I rolled out some of the uh, plans that I had, different plans, different strategies during the early 2020 season. And at that time, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen with COVID. I wasn't sure what was going to happen to the lockdowns and how that was going to affect my local clients here. And as it turns out, it really didn't affect us really that much at all. Because here in Florida, basically everything remained open for throughout the whole pandemic. I think there was maybe a shutdown for a few weeks early in 2020. But after that, most places were open and people were a little bit skittish about going out in public and being around other people, but there was enough people doing that where it really didn't affect the economy drastically here in the state of Florida. So I rolled out my plans cautiously and I wanted to see how long things were going to last. I mean, personally, the way I look at it now, people might be talking about COVID forever. And it's interesting because there have been other situations similar to this in the past where they stopped talking about it. And I know that if we weren't talking about it, the only thing I would know 
about the situation, if they weren't talking about it, if it wasn't on the news, if it was, it was all just blacked out, then all we would know about what was happening, just like the old days before there was an internet, would have been what we were experiencing ourselves personally and what, were, what was happening with relatives and loved ones around us. But being that everything is like super connected today, we hear about things moments after they happen and you hear about things throughout the day. And so trying to balance things and decide, you know, what, what's the best way forward with business in 2020 and also in 2021, you know, was a little bit challenging. Uh, but with or without COVID, I talk about, I talked about change coming and I talked about it on this podcast back in 2017, talked about it quite a bit, 2017, 2018. I said, we're coming up on the 2020s and historically change does occur as we exit one decade and enter into another. Plus, there were other signs back then of things. I was talking about AI coming in 2017, 2018, because I had been exposed to it before it became popular online. And a lot of the AI that we have available right now, as far as machine learning, I'm not talking about we're going into a place where the machine becomes conscious of itself. If you're into science fiction, you know what I'm talking about. You know, as we entered a new decade, People are hungry. People are hungry for something new. And oftentimes the beginning of a decade, and, and I see it happening several times in a decade sometimes. Sometimes it only happens a few times. But it's been this way for probably over 100 years now where we see these seasons of innovation come. And yeah, we see them go too. So the people were really hungry for something new, something better, something improved. As we were closing out that time, 2017, 2018, 2019, and we went through the beginning stages of it. We saw the rise of newer platforms as we entered 2020. We saw the rise of uh, blockchain technologies starting to become mainstream, machine learning, and more. What does all that mean for you and I? Well, I think it means in a general sense that we can no longer just settle for average, as far as what we're building, what our business is going to ultimately look like, what it's going to become, and what we do as far as our daily activities in it. And believe me, that shouldn't intimidate you. Being above average is a lot different today than it was in the past because the bar that we call average or that we identify as average is really low today. And it's that way in most fields, in most markets. If you're not sure about what I'm saying, just take a long, hard look at your market and tell me how many people do you know of that are really striving for excellence out there today? I'm not talking about people talking about it online or, or people that write about it in books, but people out there actually doing it. How many really are striving for excellence? Okay, so I rest my case on that one. Now let's talk about strategies and making adjustments. For me, podcasting was a long-term strategy right from day one. And I believe that if you're going to use podcasting in your business, you have to look at it as a long-term strategy, meaning that you're not going to blow up overnight, most likely. And if you do blow up overnight, it will be several years down the line that that probably occurs for most people. And that's not a positive. That's not a negative. That's just a look at how this works. And again, for most people, I don't want to look at outlying cases or anything like that. I want to just take what I see happening most of the time. And <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to podcasting, I believe that having a solo cast, one person talking just like I'm doing now, 
instead of doing an interview style podcast is worth experimenting with. So if you're doing a podcast and you have some people coming on that you're interviewing and that's how you're starting out, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But consider doing a few episodes, maybe just by yourself, sharing thoughts. They don't have to be long. You don't have to talk as long as you would in an interview style podcast. I know sometimes people have a certain number that they look at, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, an hour. So rather than do that, why don't you just experiment with saying what you have to say and doing it, taking enough time to get your complete thought out there. If that turns out to be 15 minutes, that's fine. Put it out there and see how people respond to that. And and this is great, especially if you're already having problems finding people to interview. This is one of the main reasons why in the very beginning I decided I was going to do a solo podcast because number one, I noticed that a lot of the podcasts that I listen to either in my niche or in my marketplace in general, I was more or less hearing the same people on different shows. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I didn't want to have the same guests on my show that everybody else had. And most people are thinking, okay, we're going to get exposure for person A on person B's podcast or vice versa. And I have to tell you that when I listen to an interview style podcast, the first thing that I want to do isn't, well, let me look up this guest. And if the guest is saying something really interesting, I notice what happens is between the time that I think I need to find this person online or I need to find a book, the book that this person was talking about on their podcast, or I just need to follow up on this in general, my intentions as good as they are, never, I never really follow through on them because I get distracted. And then I move on to something else. However, I do listen to a few shows. uh, These are syndicated shows that, and I'm not really talking about podcasts right now. I'm talking about just radio shows because when I'm in the car, I have a certain station on and I'll listen to people talk. And these are all individuals. They have their show. Sometimes they take callers, people call in, but they're basically sharing their thoughts, one individual with their whole audience. And those are the people that when I hear them over and over and over again, I feel that I really get to know them. So when I listen to some of the other shows in comparison where there's two people, one person's interviewing another, it's not that I don't get something good out of that interview. I absolutely do. It's just that I don't have the same connection with the interviewer that I have with the person on the solo show. Okay, I think that was a long convoluted way of saying what it is that I wanted to say. So audio content has a very definite audience. People who watch a lot of videos generally don't listen to a lot of podcasts also because there's a preferred format for whatever reason. The reach that you get from podcast syndication also is another plus. I haven't seen it maybe duplicated as easily on a video format as I do on a podcast format. I mean, just think about how podcasts work. You have the actual recording in one location, and it's easily syndicated in a variety of high-traffic locations like iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. I mean, there's just a whole lot of places that you can reach an established audience that's already there. So I haven't found this as easy to duplicate. I'm not talking about myself, but a lot of the people that I know that focus on video. And there's nothing wrong with video. Of course, there's pros and cons to everything. 
But for myself, having a podcast as a major component in my overall marketing strategy was something that had to be tested. So at the one-year point, I looked back on what episodes did really well and what episodes didn't. And many times I find that what I'm interested in talking about, this is interesting also, maybe you can relate to this, what I'm really most interested in talking about isn't something that most people are maybe interested in hearing. And, and remember, as a business owner, you want to focus on selling something that people want or enough people want, something that they want to buy, something they want to invest in. Because if not, you're just a maybe a pleasant distraction. If you incorporate your personal brand into a strategy that becomes something that not only people want to buy, but people want to buy from you, then that makes the whole podcasting approach even more compelling. And, and actually, you could apply this to video as well. When you incorporate personal brand into, into the overall strategy, and that's something that I've done and that I focused on since I would say beginning more or less around 2015. Not that I wasn't doing it before then, I was, but I wasn't really focused as much on it. So the personal brand is just a, a fancy way of saying who you are, what your interests, what your personality is like, what types of insights that you have, what you prefer, what you don't prefer. And your personality as a whole is going to mesh probably really nicely with a, with a segment of people that are in your marketplace that will identify with how you see things and how you express your thoughts and ideas. There's real connections that are made there. And so once that happens, once you couple that into, let's say, a podcast, then not only do you have the platform, but you're creating the types of connections with, with people out there that they're going to look to you as the source of a certain type of product, a certain type of service, or a certain type of expertise because you're a recognized expert, you're a recognized ambassador, or whatever label you want to use for a specific kind of product or service. So after you've been active online for a while, creating some kind of content, then you know you have to go back and revisit what it is that you've created, what you've put out there. And I would say, especially in the beginning, you want to do this every three or four months, especially with something new. You want to evaluate how people are responding. I know every industry does this. Think about the, some of your favorite shows that you've watched over the years on TV. The producers, the executives are always evaluating how people are responding to what they're creating, episode by episode, season by season. And just know this, that as you're in this process of testing things, there's going to be ebbs and flows when it comes to audience an audience being interested when it comes to an audience participating. Sometimes they're going to be really engaged. Sometimes they won't. And sometimes it will have nothing to do with specifically you, the individual. It'll just be a certain time of the year or certain circumstances. I've looked to, into this in such great depth. And I have to tell you that as interesting as it is to really dig down way below the surface numbers and see what's going on, there's just too much there that is not exactly in your control as an individual. And so you just have to take the numbers as they are. It's kind of like fishing, right? I mean, you can be well prepared, but as soon as, soon as you hit the water, what happens beneath the surface, the surface is beyond your control. 
I mean, there can be things happening there. There's reasons that the fish, for reasons that you may not really understand, there's reasons why the fish aren't biting on that day. And nothing that you do and nothing you, that you change is going to make that happen. It's the same way with marketing. So after a year or 12 months of, of marketing anything, you'll have a better idea of what you can build on and what you can. So again, think about the shows that you enjoy watching, binge watching maybe. Some seasons you really enjoy, maybe others not so much. And it's the same way with products. It's the same way with content creation. Now, here's a strategy that I'm using with my own clients, and uh, I use the strategy also. If you're creating any kind of content on a platform as part of your marketing, once you review that content and see how your audience, regardless of the audience size, is responding, then what I like to do is I like to go back and make a list of keywords and phrases contained within that content. I start with the titles, podcast titles blog post titles, you could do it with video titles, and some of the words that you used, some of the keywords, again, so if we're talking about, let's just use email marketing as an example. So if you're talking about email marketing, of course, the phrase email marketing, the words, that's going to be in your list. If you're talking about a specific application like Moosend, Moosend is an email marketing platform, or maybe you're talking about a self-hosted one like Ascendi, or maybe you're talking about Amazon SES as a uh, sending service that you're going to use, then those particular phrases in that email marketing piece are all keyword phrases and keywords. So you write those down, and, and, and again, this is a strategy that I use and that I'm using right now, even looking into 2022. That's why I'm sharing it with you. What you do is you take those words and you go ahead and you plug them into a keyword analyzer, like Google's keyword analyzer, for example. And you really zero in on the CPC or the cost per click, cost per click numbers. Uh, for example, certain words or phrases have a higher search volume and then if you go across and you look at the cost per click, they also have a very high cost per click number attached to them. So what that means is there's a lot of people searching for that particular phrase using those particular words. And there's advertisers out there paying quite a bit to get people to come to their landing pages, to their site, when those words are used, right? So those are the words they're using in their ads. That's what they're paying for. Others, however have a high search volume and a very low cost per click. So let's say, what do you mean by low cost per click? Let's just say, let's use real numbers. Let's say $2.20 to $2.80. Now there's numbers lower than that, but I'm just saying the way things are right now in today's market, and we're talking January of 2021, the high volume tells you there's a lot of interest in those terms. The low cost per click tells you that there may be a good opportunity for you there because not a lot of people are paying money to Google, for example. It could be on any platform, but we're talking about Google right now. Not a lot of people are paying to have to, to take advantage of those phrases. So let me say that again. This is something that I wish now that I had a video to show you, but 
we have a high search volume. Let's say, I don't know, 131,000 for that particular niche is considered high. Let's say 131,000 people are looking for that phrase and the cost per, per month. And let's say the cost per click is something like two bucks or 220 or something like that. So that's a great opportunity as opposed to maybe the uh, same number and people are paying $5 per click or $6 per click or even, you know, $4 per click as compared to like $2.220, you know, anything under $3 per click. So, I, you know, I know when I first learned this and I first studied this, the acronyms like CPC, I mean, I, my eyes used to just glaze over when I heard words like that. Just think about when you're on a website and you see an ad or you see something that's interesting and you click on that link, somebody just paid whatever they're paying cost per click as a result of you doing that. So a company may have a, a banner ad or something on the side of a website and it says, you know, take a look at our program. We'll help you become more effective in this area. And you click on it and they paid, what, $2, $2.80, and if it's real, the more popular it is, usually the more popular, uh, the more people are spending ad revenue to get people to come to their site to buy it from them. Okay, does that make sense? That's all cost per click means. So it really adds up. It really adds up, especially when we're talking about, you know, over $5 a click that somebody's paying to get you to their site. But the low cost per click with the high search volume tells you that not a lot of people are taking advantage of all of that interest. And so that's one of the things that I do and that I help my clients do with their own businesses is try and find the words that a lot of people are interested in, but that there's not a lot of competition. So the lower the number is, the less competition there's going to be. Now, one of the strategic blunders I made in the past was pursuing topics and the phrases and words that were attached to those topics that had low search volume. Low search volume means that there's not a lot of money flowing there and there's not a lot of interest there. Two strikes. Might as well say three strikes because you're out at that point. And, you know, it can be so deceiving because if you're in a group and everyone's talking about one thing, it feels like everyone you know is interested in that thing. But if you use a keyword analyzer and you put the, the words and the phrases in and you see that the numbers there are so low, then you can't really build a business, a viable business going forward on that topic. See, words, phrases, they're all representative of topics. The topics are representative of niches. And the search volume is indicating how many people. Now, is this right? Is this 100%? Is this like an exact science? It's not exact. There's times that people swear that the numbers are off. But I'm saying that if you're starting out or you're doing something new and you see that not a lot of people, there's not a lot of search volume for what you're building, then the chances are that you're going to really struggle. Let's, let me give an example here. Suppose you're in a group of with woodworkers, people that enjoy building things with wood, carpentry type stuff, doing stuff by hand. There's different tools and there's a, a woodworking forum and it's really a nice size group. Let's say there's 30,000 people in the group and everyone's talking about certain woodworking tools and blueprints that you can buy and everything around that topic. When you're in the group, you may think, well, maybe I should create a blog or a video channel around this specific 
topic or this tool, you know, really niche down because there's so much interest here. But the very first thing you want to do is you need to check out the keywords and see what the true search volume is, both on a worldwide basis and also in your country. I like doing both because as great as it may be to be a big fish in a small pond, you know that analogy, that's the way you want your business to be, be a big fish in a small pond. That's what niching down is supposed to be about. It's very frustrating to try to do that only to discover you're basically a big fish in a puddle. It may be true that there's a lot of money in, let's say, the woodworking niche, but that doesn't mean that you can find the niche within the niche and build a viable business out of it. I hope that makes sense. Think about, for example, how many blogs are out there today. Now consider how many of them have been abandoned. I've abandoned sites. I've abandoned projects myself for this very reason, because it's one thing to say that people are interested in it, and it's an, quite another to say that this is where people are spending money. If you can't find specific competition around your topic, then the chances are great that there's a reason for that. And I know that because I've been in this place before, you're hoping that I'm on to something in the early stages that's going to be big down the line. But that's buying the future instead of buying the present. If you buy into the future long enough, in other words, you buy something based on potential, it's like, and I hate to use women as an example in men, but you see this over and over again, the woman marries the guy based on who she thinks he will be down the line, not who he is right now. And then he never becomes that person and the relationship is over. I know we could probably reverse that maybe men to women, but I can't tell you how many stories I've heard women say in later years that they thought that this person was going to go on to become somebody different, and they thought that they would be able to influence that person, and it just never turned out that way. But um, there were sites and projects that I did myself that there was a lot of interest in it, but I hate to say this, they were better suited to be a hobby type of website to just make a little bit of money, and but they were never really positioned to go beyond that simply because the money flow wasn't already there. Now, if you get it right and you know you hit it big, that's fine, but that's not really how you create and sell a business plan. If I want to attract investors to invest in my business and I'm doing it based on what may happen down the line versus what is already happening right here right now, then you know we're, you know we're comparing apples to oranges. If you watch some of the one of the most famous investment shows as far as startups goes here in the United States is a program called the Shark Tank. And a lot of times people go on there and they have all these famous, they call them, you know, sharks, business sharks, and they want them to invest in their business. And a lot of times they're basing their wants on what might be or what can be, not what is. So, and most of those people, sometimes people take a chance and they'll invest in it, but more often than not, you have to invest to become successful. If you're not already successful, then you want to put as many odds in your favor as possible. I guess maybe that's what I should have said right from the beginning with this. And I have to say, I've been there myself at least four or five times that I could think of that I went with the potential instead of the reality and I don't want to say that I regretted it 100% because you always learn. No matter what you do, you always learn. 
But if I could go back and redo a few things, I think I would do them a little a little smarter. Some projects were vanity projects. I got very popular from them. But if you look at my popularity ver versus what I had actually in the bank account as a result of that project, it was lopsided. So I really didn't get the return on the investment besides, you know, a stroke of the ego. How long does that last? You can't, you, you can't pay bills with that. So, but here's something to remember. It's not your fault that there isn't much money to be made by certain projects you undertake. Whether there's money there or not, you're still going to gain some valuable experience that will help you down the road. I firmly believe that. So don't feel bad if you pick a loser. I've picked plenty of losers myself. But going into the new year, I've gone ahead and I've tweaked my strategy based on two simple things. The first is the real world data that I've been collecting for the past two years, and that includes feedback. And second is the feedback that I've gotten from local clients who are in a variety of different niches. It's amazing how similar the challenges are. I have individual clients and maybe they get help from one or two people in their uh, business structure, how it's set up. And I have clients that have full staffs with multiple locations and all of them seem to struggle with getting things done because of all of the distractions we see in life in general. So a strategic adjustment you may want to consider making for yourself is to experiment with what I said about analyzing data, analyzing keywords and the phrases that you use with your own content and in your own communications. A quick example would be you can take everything I just said and apply it towards something like planning ads on social media. And I'm talking about the phrases with the higher search volume and the lower cost per click. These are the words you could be using in your headlines, advertisements, or you can apply this strategy when choosing things like the topics you're going to write blog posts around or social media posts, or even maybe to generate discussions in groups that you're a part of. One of the reasons why I mention ads is because even if that's not something you want to focus on, paid advertisements, they really can help you gain momentum if that's something that you're really in need of and you don't need to start out with a huge budget. Advertisements can solve your website traffic problems faster than just about any other method that's out there today. So if you have something that people are gravitating towards, go ahead and try out a small advertisement and see for yourself. I mean, we could go back and forth about the pros and the cons. You can listen to what other people have to say about it, but it's not until you do it yourself that you're going to get that real-world experience that I'm talking about. First, however, test everything out. Test the headlines, the graphics, the calls to actions, all of that. Do it organically. I mean, if you're on social media, then it's not a problem to do that. Share the information, share the subjects, and see how people are responding. Here's why. You'll discover and you'll learn what people are interested or not interested in long before you put a dime into a paid advertisement. A lot of times people just go right for the paid advertisements when they decide that's what they're going to do and they haven't tested the images, they haven't tested the, the copy or any of those things. You can use all of that in a discussion in an online group, for example, or in a forum somewhere, or just even in a blog post to see if there's interest. And if it works there, it will work when there's money behind it. If it doesn't work in these other places, it won't work because you decide to turn it into an ad. I hope that makes sense. If the market isn't showing any interest in your organic efforts, putting money behind it won't change a thing. So putting money behind a product or service is just going to magnify how people are basically already responding to that product or service. So we test small, we do it gradually until we have an idea of how big our 
audience is and how widespread the interest is in that topic. It's all testing. And this is the same strategy the mail order gurus from the old days used. So if you're running ads, keep a close eye on how those ads are performing and then adjust accordingly. Everything in the real world has to be tested and you'll learn quite a bit from the things that don't work as well as the things that do. And a win is a win. Celebrate even the little wins. So back to what I was saying about making strategic adjustments going into the new year. First, I'm altering the keywords a bit. Next, I want to get back into maybe writing a little bit more as I've done in the past. It's something that I've given some thought to throughout the last 12 months. And rather than try to fit fresh articles into my existing schedule, I'm simply pulling from my 230-something podcast episodes that I already have. And I'm going to go ahead and convert the audios into text, clean it up, and I have enough blog content for years to come. So I have, uh, if you consider a podcast every week, and I'll probably just stick with the podcasts that have the most response and use those to turn those into blog articles. There is a cleanup process. I use a service called, I'm trying to think of the name of it, but basically I upload the MP3 and it converts it into text. And then I have to go in there and again, make some changes. And of course the punctuation and all of that. I use a program called Grammarly. I have two different writing programs that I use. Even with a writing program or writing software, you still have to take your time and Really, sometimes I think you even need to read it out loud or read it to yourself so you can hear what it sounds like rather than just scan it visually. So, but when it comes to content, why not repurpose the content that you already have? You can even use written content and convert that into audio content. If you're comfortable with basically reading a script, you can do it that way. I know some people prefer using simple bullet points and other people just speak off the top of their head. And I've used every method that you can imagine, but I prefer to stick with things that I really know well. And that way I don't have to refer back to notes and it's just, it's more relaxing overall. By the way, the program that I use to convert audio into text is called Happy Scribe. So you just want to make a note of that if that's something that you're looking for. There are other services out there also. Just ask around. I'm sure you'll get some great info on that. Now, one of the things to remember is that a lot of your clients are heading into what very well may be one of the most challenging years they're going to be facing in a while. They're already sounding the warnings about inflation continuing at least through the first six months of 2022. And that means more than ever that people are going to be looking for whatever guidance they can find, whatever solid ground they can stand on when it comes to their online efforts and how they're positioning themselves in their own market and how they're doing business, how their sales and marketing is playing out. Why not position yourself to help them at a level maybe that you haven't helped them at in the past? You can do this. You, you know, you're absolutely going to have to think it through. One of the newer strategies that I've implemented recently is a just a little tweak on something that I've done in the past. I've created so many videos in which I've walked clients through processes, walked them through pros and cons of different ways to do things, and they've really appreciated that effort. And so by using what I call a, a one-to-many approach, you can create what basically amounts to be a mini LMS or learning management system in which you can create series of videos based on your own expertise 
that you can make available to your clients, maybe a small membership area on one of your websites, and you can provide ongoing encouragement, guidance, instructions, insights, and all of that. And it's kind of a step up from maybe doing a monthly newsletter, but uh, it's something that I found a lot of my clients really appreciate. So even though I've done it informally, I've kind of kind of tweaking what I'm doing and making it more of a, it's more of an LMS, a learning management system, but it's available to them free of charge. And it's not like, um, you know, they're going to get a certificate after completing the course. It's just to help real business people with real problems. I guess that's the way I should put it. So you can do something like this. You can keep it very simple. Maybe you put out a video once a month and you send the link to everyone, or maybe you're going to really get involved in it and put a whole area together, password protected. So, you know, that's up to you. Start small and go from there. Something to remember, you know, as we prepare for the new year, financial doom and gloom is a huge cash cow when it comes to the media. The media tells us things are great when they aren't, and they tell us the sky is falling when it isn't. Yes, technology is making more and more jobs obsolete. And if you're part of the online business world, it's tempting to believe that you don't have a future for a variety of reasons, maybe not the least of which is all of the big players that are in the space today. It can be tempting to believe that you can't thrive because there's a big company, maybe like an Amazon, that's basically cornered your market, and that's just not true. I know writers and designers who are afraid that AI is going to make them obsolete, and that's not true either. The truth is, you have a skill set and you will adjust. You'll learn how to be creative. You already have that creativity in you, even if it's latent. And there's still going to be people out there who are going to want to do business with you. They're not going to want to do business with a big company. Your business may look different, but you'll still be there. So decide right now that you're not going to be or allow yourself to become a victim of circumstances in 2022, no matter what you hear financial hardships make the commitment right now are not going to paralyze you or your family you're going to find a way you have before you'll do it again now as long as we're talking about marketing and strategy just a few final thoughts i want to share with you about this i've gotten away from the more complex sales funnel strategies marketing strategies that people tell you absolutely positively must have now don't get me wrong People who put these together, they're very sharp, really nice people, very intelligent. I know many of them personally, and I admire their work without a doubt. I've just learned, however, that there is a much easier way to market effectively to people without having or without needing a complex digital marketing system in place. Some of the more complex business models that I'm aware of and the people that run them say that they need a minimum of seven sales funnels in place to maximize all of their income potential. And they have a lot of products. They're basically in e-commerce and the complex funnels seem to work best there. But I see people take these complex funnels and they try to use them in just a simple service business. And they're frustrated because a, a funnel takes some time, just like it, if you're running multiple ad campaigns, it takes time to keep track of all of them, to make adjustments and to do that, most of the time, people do set it and forget it. So if you want to learn how to simplify your marketing process, I have a new program I'm going to be releasing shortly. I've put people through it already. I've been testing it out for years, and I just rolled it out this last year. 
to help some of my existing clients with it. And they've gotten great results and they've enjoyed getting away from what they were doing before in favor of something that does have fewer moving parts. And I had to say this, whenever you're building something, there's a lot of moving parts. It's almost like you open the box at, up and you pour out all of these things on the floor. But after you have it built, all of those little things are now working together in a system. So that's what I mean about less moving parts. I know that sometimes setting up a landing page can seem like a mountain for some people to climb or setting up a webinar system may seem like just an over-the-top type of thing they have to do. But with the right guidance and with some help, you can get all of these things taken care of in place. And then the maintenance that's involved with these things is very, very minimal. So I'm going to have some more information on this in the weeks ahead. So <clears throat> if that's something that you need, I'll be able to help you build everything out for yourself, including the sales copy. But if there's one thing I want you to take away from today's episode, it's this. Give yourself some time to really think things through. Be smarter or purpose to be more intelligent about how you're going about things in this upcoming year. Your time is precious. So consider streamlining things and learn to focus on the activities that are truly going to build your business. Not all of this other busy work. Decide what's busy work and what truly moves the needle and begin to move those things into their proper categories. I know long-term goals, long-term objectives, they're very important, but you know, we don't live in the future. We live right here, right now. If there's a time to improve what we're doing and how we're doing it, it's right here and it's right now. Okay, let's go ahead and put the bookmarker in it there. That's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think it will help a friend, please go ahead and share the episode link with them. Share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook. Or you can send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. All my episodes are there. And if the solopreneur style business appeals to you and you want to grow and scale your own brand, go ahead and visit my main website at jimgalliano.com. Subscribe there and start learning how to step-by-step -step remove some of the layers of complexity from your own business that really aren't necessary. And in the big scheme of things, they're unproductive. In favor of a more manageable, easier to scale business model that will serve you much better in the days, weeks, and even years to come. Thanks again for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you later.